Westmount and Happy New Year to each and everyone here. I trust that you've had a good week so far and that you have come this morning with the eager expectation of hearing what God has to say to you and not just hearing but putting it into practice as James reminds us we cannot just be hearers, we have to be hearers and doers of his word. So it's good to see each and everyone out this first Sunday in this new year that God has graciously granted to us once again. Victory is something that we all like to be a part of, we all like to experience. For myself, who is a Avid soccer player plays on two teams. Uh, one team that I play on, we didn't experience that much victory over the past few years. Uh, we, we've been trying, but not so successful. On the other hand, my other team, we completely dominate the league and we were victors, lifting the, the league trophy at the end of the season. And it's an amazing feeling. It's an awesome feeling. The word victory comes from the Latin word victoria, meaning the overcoming of an enemy or an antagonist. It also means achievement of mastery or success in a struggle or Endeavor against odds or difficulties. John, after writing to the believers at length, as you have well been drenched with about love, he shifts his focus. Of course, we'll see this shift in verses 4 and 5, because he's still going to continue on that love theme in verses 1 to 3 of 1 John chapter 5. But he shifts his focus in verses 4 and 5 to encourage his readers, to encourage the churches that he was writing to, to encourage the believers, and of course, by default, to encourage us about the victory that you and I have, about the victory that they have, and I say have, not had, have in Christ Jesus, a victory That is already theirs, a victory that has been won, not through their own efforts, not through their own intellects, not through anything that they could ever do, but a victory that has been won through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. The primary biblical assertion is that victory belongs to God. Victory belongs to God. And of course, this is expressed in that phrase we see in 1 Samuel 17, verses 4 to 7. Victory belongs exclusively to the Lord. It is His to bestow at will. And there are a few special features with regards to the victory or to the Lord's victory which enables us as believers to get a glimpse of the inner characteristic or character trait of God. 
Sometimes God's victory is seen in the defeat of his people, and although that might seem odd and, and con- com- contrary to who God is, we find that especially when God's people rebel. In the context of Habakkuk, we see this in Judges, we see this in Isaiah, we see this in Jeremiah, where they rebel and God says, I'm going to use a nation, a crude nation, to punish you. And of course, he's going to punish those nations. But there's a purpose behind that. There's a reason why God sees this as victory, because he's using that to shape and fashion his people into becoming the people that he wants them to be and that he requires them to be. And it's the same thing with us as believers where we go through those fiery trials. He's doing it not because he's a sadistic God. He likes to see believers suffer. No, he's doing it for a purpose. That's the refining. And of course, we don't like that, right? If we're brutally honest, we just want to become gold. We don't want to go through the refining process that makes us shiny as gold. So it's seen in him and how he deals with his people. The Lord's victory is the exercise of holy sovereignty in the course of history. Victory for God is another way of saying that the government or governments of the world rest in the hands of a holy God who orders all things according to his inflexible principle of morality. So that sometimes his holiness must be asserted against his people. The, God, the people of God enter upon victory by, as we've been singing and we've been reading this morning, by obedience of faith. They experience, we experience God's victory through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord said himself, only the Son can set men free in John chapter 8 verse 36. So those of us who abide in his word, those of us who know the truth, the truth indeed sets us free. As we continue in this passage and as we make our way through these verses, it is my hope, it is my desire that after going through these verses, you, believer, will get a greater assurance of dealing with life's trials, that you will get a greater assurance of dealing with the challenges that come your way and that will come your way at the dawn of this new year, knowing that you are indeed an overcomer, that you are indeed victor victor in Christ. And not just for today, not just on the day, not just for tomorrow either, not just for next week, but for the rest of your life until Jesus Christ returns. I pray that you will come to this assurance that you are victors, not because of your own doing, but because of who you are in Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, as we turn our attention to a new chapter, first five verses. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So that again, that qualifier, if you're going to classify, categorize, deem yourself to be a believer or a Christian, this is paramount for you to believe and confess to the world. If you, anyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, the sent one, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, loves whoever is born of the, fa- of the Father, of him. This is how, or by this we know, there's that word again, by this or the phrase, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God has overcome the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. Father God, I pray that you will once again use your words to penetrate our hearts and our souls. God, I pray that you will change our hearts, change our our mindset, our outlook, and our thinking, and what it is to be victorious in this life. God, I pray that you will strengthen us as we make our way through these texts, through these passages. For those who are feeling as though they're constantly fighting, as the phrase goes, a losing battle, that they will come to this assurance, Lord, that they are victorious because of who they are in Christ and because of Jesus Christ himself, who is our victor. God, I pray you'll strengthen our hearts. God, I pray that anyone here that is struggling in their faith as we embark on this new year, that anyone here that is concerned about the uncertainties that might come our way for the remainder of this year, God, may you strengthen them in their faith. May you increase their faith. And Lord, if there's someone here who's heart has not been transformed by the power of your spirit who has not surrendered their lives bowed their knees to Jesus Christ I pray that through the power of your word the convicting power of your spirit that today Lord today will be that day where they surrender their lives to Christ for Christ's sake Amen. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The first point that we'll be exploring this morning is the person of our victory. As we look at that theme, faith, faith is our victory. The person of our victory. And of course, we know who he is and it's Jesus Christ. There is no other name. This goes without saying. This is just stating the obvious, preaching to the choir, however you want to term it. it. 
There's no other name, there's no other person from whence our victory comes except the one who has destroyed, as John reminds us in 1 John 3, 8, except for the one who has destroyed the works of the devil, except for the one who, again, John, 1 John 2, verse 1, is our advocate, the one through whom the righteous wrath of God has been satisfied, the one who is the eternal life giver. Yes, Jesus Christ is his name. The Son of God, that's who he is. Jesus Christ, the righteous, that's who he is. That's where our victory comes from. That's who our victory comes from. He has, Jesus Christ, according to Colossians, Paul writes in Colossians 1, 13, 14, Jesus Christ has delivered you and I, Westmount, from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom. In Christ, you have redemption. In Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness of sins. In Christ, you are justified freely, freely by his grace. We who were once deemed enemies of God, enemies of the cross, God through Jesus Christ, through his only Son, and for the sake of Jesus Christ, his only Son, reconciled us to himself. Through Jesus Christ, we are now at peace with God. That's what that means. We are no longer enemies. Of the cross. We are no longer enemies of God. We are now at peace with God. We are at peace with God the Father because of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 that through Christ the dead become alive. The dead are made alive. In Christ and in Christ alone, He crushed the head. Of that serpent. Genesis 3.15. He obliterated sin, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus Christ is the spotless lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ rose victoriously from the grave. And is highly, highly exalted at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus alone is the one through whom you and I are victors. No man, no self. It's only Jesus Christ. And this, folks, is the glorious truth. Believer, you are in him. You are in Christ. You are sealed by his spirit as a stamp of approval. He is in you. And John reminds us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. You and I are victorious only because of Jesus Christ. Only because of him. We can live victorious lives on earth only because of Jesus Christ. 
We can live a victorious life in this year, in this week, only because of the person of Jesus Christ. The victory, folks, this is something that we often miss as believers. The victory is already won. The victory is already won. Through Jesus Christ, who has called you by His grace, Chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Chosen in Him before God said, let there be light. Just think on that marvelous truth. It is on Jesus that you believe. He is the one that you confess. He is the one that you and I confess. And it is in Him that we have confidence for the present life, and for the future, whatever that future may look like. How accurate it is for the hymn to say, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me, He bought me with His redeeming love. Only through Christ. And if you have uncertainty about what this year might throw at you, just remember you're in Jesus Christ. If you have uncertainty about life circumstances, just remember you're in Christ. If you have any doubts whatsoever that you can make it another day, remember you are in Christ. And folks, even if, Even if God decides, you know what, I'm going to call you home any day now. That's victory. Because you will be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Any way you can look at life, folks, whether it's through death or through hardship or through hard circumstances, Christ is the only light that we can see. Christ is the only light that we look at and gives us assurance of no matter what comes. We are secure in Him. We are victorious in Him. He is the person of our victory. But what about the position of your victory? Verses 1 and 4 Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father has been born of Him. Verse 4 says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Our victory comes, as I just pointed out, from the person Jesus Christ. But it also comes because of our position, our position in that person, in Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, believer, your position has changed. And by way of reminder, let us look. Let us look at two texts. I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Think of... uh, Complete contrast in positional change. Ephesians 4, 11 
to 14. Ephesians 2, sorry. Therefore, remember, put this in your mind, that at one point in time, one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, what? Separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope, having no hope without God in the world. No hope. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John reminds us that as, as many who have received Jesus Christ are now called sons and daughters of God. So folks, you went from, what about this position in Christ? What about your positional victory? You went from having no part with Christ whatsoever to being united with the God-man himself. You went from being alienated. You went from being estranged. You went from being hopeless, distant, but now through Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, there has been a change. There has been a transformation. You now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are now called sons and daughters. You have been born of God. You have experienced the new birth, regenerated the transformed heart. A heart transform, or transplant rather, has taken place. That heart of stone has been transformed into a heart of flesh. That callous heart, that hard heart has been transformed into a heart of flesh. The victory we have in Jesus Christ is embedded in our identity in Jesus Christ. So again, it all comes back to Jesus Christ. However, as we will see as we go further on in the sermon today, there is more to this victorious life than just our identity in Christ, and we'll get to that. The victory is not just about who we are in Christ, but how we live until he returns. And more on this soon. But know this, know this believer, being born of God is your spiritual birthmark. If anyone is in Jesus Christ, as Paul reminds us, that individual is now a new creation. The old is past. And behold, all things have become new. In Jesus Christ, you, believer, are free from condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1. 
In Jesus Christ, you are God's child. You are God's dear and precious child. You are God's adopted child with all the rights and privileges of an adult son. In Jesus Christ, you are co-heirs with him. You will be ultimately freed from creation's curse. The sin, death, the decay. This perishable, Paul says, will put on imperishable. In Christ, you are certain of eternal glorification. That's victory. You were chosen, as I said earlier, in Christ before the foundations of this world. That, folks, is victory in Jesus. You are eternally loved by the eternal God. That is victory. You are justified. You are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God looks down on you as a believer, as one who is called by God, has been chosen in God before the foundation of the world, God sees you clothed in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we can declare we are not condemned and will never be condemned. That is victory. You are one with Christ. Think on that. One with Christ. Peter says you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. Do you think of yourself as a priesthood? Of belief, of a, a priesthood? Do you think this highly of yourself as one who is positionally in Christ? You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And in Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, 28. You are one with Christ. John Piper says Christian's selfhood is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It's defined in terms of what God does to us and the relationships He creates with us and the destiny He appoints for us. God made us who we are so that we can make known who He is. Our identity is for the sake of Of making known his identity. That's your position in Christ. That's where our victory lies. It's not within ourselves. And I can't repeat that often enough. It's in who Jesus Christ is. And it's because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. That we can say with certainty we are in him. That's our position. We are in Christ Jesus. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know your heart. God knows it. But I can say, if you're not in Christ, if you're not born of God, I plead to you. I encourage you to do so. That'll be the first victory you in this new year, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, surrendering your life to Him. The person of our victory 
is Christ. The position of our victory is we are in Christ. And that comes with a plethora of privileges. But what about the practice of our victory? So we move now from being, so that's our position, to doing. In other words, we're moving from a positional victory to a practical victory. How we live day by day victoriously. How is your theology? Is it solid? That's excellent. How is your evangelism? Is it passionate? Superb. Great. What about your enthusiasm for gathering with the saints on a consistent basis? That's good. These folks are all excellent traits. After all, we are commanded to do these things in God's word. We're commanded to to have our theology right, to take God at his word. We're, We're commanded to go and make disciples, to evangelize the world, to tell them about the hope that is within us. We are commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But these are, and these are good traits. These are commands in Scripture, in fact. However, what matters most to God, the one thing that He desires from those of us who have been born of Him, from those who love Him with every fiber of our being, is to love Him with our heart, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our minds. And of course, this love for God, this absolute passionate love for God will translate into so many other things. More than 30 times, John uses this word love between chapters 4, verses 7 to chapter 5, verse 3. Just in those few verses, I'm not talking about the rest of 1 John. 1 John 4, 7 to to chapter 5, verse 3. Oh, at least 30 times, John uses the word love. 30 times. Five times of that 30, he uses this word in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 5. The new birth. Being born of God brought us into relationship with God, who, may I remind us, first loves us, and in return, we love Him. We love Him for who He is. We love Him for what He has done, and we love Him for what He continues to do for us and work in us and through us. And this love that we have for God compels us to love those who have been born of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ. John did not say in verse 2, we know we love God when. By this we know we love God, love the children of God rather. By this we know that we love the children of God 
when we love God and obey his commandment. He didn't say we love God when. He said we love the children of God when we love God. We prove that we love the brothers because of my love for God. Then naturally and by default, I will love those who are called of God. Because I love God, my love for God compels me to love God, to love his commandments, to love his brother, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Theologians deem this the great commandment. And just by way of reminder, that's a passage where this gentleman comes up to Christ and and says, In fact, let let us turn there. Matthew chapter 22. Verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him the question to test him or to trick Christ. Teacher, which is the greatest great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with your soul, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor's as yourself. Well, listen to verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law, all the prophets. So the first five book of the New Testament hinges on those two commandments. All the law, all the prophets rather, is hinged on those two commandments. And you can add the writings, which is the the Psalms and Proverbs hinge on those two commandments. And you, you're thinking, why is that? Why is this? Folks, if we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's not going to be hard to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not going to be hard to love those who have been born of God. If we love those who have been born of God, and you can go right through every single commandment. If we love our brothers, are we going to covet? Are we going to sin against them? Are we going to slander? No, we're not, because we love them. So in other words, these two commandments, if we get these down to the letter, we have it made. But the problem is we can't. Neither of them. We can't love God, hence why we continually sin against God. Hence why we are in this position where we have to, on a daily basis, crucify self. Because we don't love him the way we ought to. And you might be thinking, I I totally disagree with you there, Barris. I love God with every fiber of my being. I love him just as he prescribed in Matthew 22. And I will say this, no, you don't. Our actions prove that you, we don't. And I'm preaching to me just as, I, just, just as I am preaching to you folks. 
This is something that we all need to work on on a daily basis. Our love for God. And our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why it's the great commandment. Because if we love God the way we ought to and love the brothers as we ought to, it will make sinning against God virtually impossible. And the same thing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And John knows that this is difficult for the readers in his time that he's writing to. Hence why he spends so much time. And I can just imagine the believers, and you're probably the same. Man alive, get off this love topic already. And John is saying, I won't because you haven't got it yet. You heard, you're hearing it. You're reading it, but it's not being lived out. You're not practicing that you have conquered this aspect of your victorious life. Psalm 119 verses 36, or 33 to 36. If you'll turn there momentarily. Psalm 119, 33 to 36. Psalmist says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Do we delight in the law of the Lord? Do we delight in the commandments of God? Do we treasure them? The psalmist does. And that's his prayer. And that should be our prayer. Incline my heart to your testimonies. And not to selfish gain. Do we delight in the testimonies of the Lord? This commandment, John says, is not burdensome. The commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, minds, and strength. It's not burdensome. It's not difficult. But yet it is. The commandment to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a burden. It's not an unbearable weight for the believer. It's not something unrealistic for God to expect of those who have been born of him. That's what John is saying. It's not something that God expects. You won't be able to do this, but I'm going to command you to do it anyways. No, it's not like that. It's not unbearable for the believers. It's not difficult. But rather, as I read from Psalm 119, it's a joy. And it ought to be a joy and a delight for us. David delights in the testimonies and the statutes of God. Your testimonies are my delight. He delights in the commandments of God. Being born of God makes our natural default attitude towards God's law, God's commandment, God's decree, a delight and a pleasure. Not a burden. And as we express our love for God by keeping His commandments, this, of course, enables us by default to love those that are born of God.
So here it is. You love others. You love others not based on sentiments. You love others not not based on circumstances. Your love for the brothers and sisters in Christ cannot be a circumstantial love. It cannot be an occasional love. I love you in this context, but in this, not so much. It cannot be that, folks. But we love because God has commanded us to love our brothers and sisters. Why cannot our love for my brother and sister be circumstantial or situational or contextual? Because God's love for us is not circumstantial, contextual, or situational. He loves us when we didn't love him. He chose us. We can't choose him. He's the one who chooses us. He's the one who draws us unto himself. Paul says, even while we were still sinners, while I still was a wretch, God died for me. If that's a situational love, folks, we have that completely wrong. We love because he commands us to do so. Our position in Christ compels us to do so, to love others. God's love for you and me is the reason or the cause for us to love him. And as you know yourself, and we'll ask, why, why did a sovereign God, why did the God that has the ability to speak and creation happens, why does a God who have, is all-powerful, who is self-sufficient, doesn't need Barris, why does this God, why did this God choose to love me. Westmount, what I'm saying is, when you come to that realization, or at least I hope when you come to this realization, that you do not deserve God's love, that I don't deserve God's love, Let that be a reminder to you that despite being unworthy of his love, unworthy of his great, yet he loves even me in similar fashion. I should love my brothers in Christ. This is the practical side of our victory. Loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray as we embark on a new year that we'll make an extra effort to actually demonstrate our love for God. Especially as we look at the world that is drifting so far away from godliness. Let us be determined. If you haven't made a resolution yet, may this be your resolve. That you will love God with every fiber of your being and endeavor to do so every single day of your lives. If you love me, Jesus says in John 14, 15, 
what will you do? Keep my commandments. Jerry Bridges says, Love provides the motive for obeying the commandments of the law. But the law provides specific directions for exercising love. Loving God is not just an external behavior. It's not just an external behavior. It is a longing to do His will from the heart. It is out of gratitude for God, who God is. It's for out of gratitude for what God has done for you, what God is doing for you, what God will continue to do for you. Westmount, this is how we gain practical victory from day to day. It is not for you to say, I have to love. It is not enough. And I pray that this is not your resolve. I have to love God. I have to love the brothers and sisters in Christ. I have to obey. I have to obey God's word. And you might say, but what's wrong with saying that? No, this is what I want you to resolve. I want to obey. I desire to obey. I need to obey. Have to have that sense of, I don't want to do it. I have no desire to do it, but I must. When you have that yearning and that desire of that longing of heart to love God, that's what God wants. The desire to love Him, to want to love Him just like the psalmist. Incline my heart to your statutes, to your testimonies. And I pray that that is your resolve. Delight in the law of God. This is victory in motion. The battle from day to day wages on. It will continue to wage on. But by the power of Christ, who is the person of our victory, the indwelling power of His Holy Spirit, who is our assurance, and abiding in the Word of God, we can be and will be victorious in our daily walk. John spent a lot of time speaking about love and what love looks like in the life of the believers and what love should look like in the life of the believers. And of course, this implies that this was a constant struggle for them, among other things. But as you saw from Matthew chapter 22, if we get a good handle on this love, that John is addressing to love God, to love the brothers repeatedly, the rest of the commandments of Scripture will be no wise challenging to us. In Jesus Christ, you are victorious, believers. Positionally, you are victorious. But how is this? How is it? How is it? In your practical life. This is for you to determine. How is it. In your practical life. Day by day. How are you living. Believer. How are you living. I assure you. You will struggle. We will struggle. But I want to encourage you at the same time. That you are not alone. In the daily fight. 
the battle to constantly present your bodies as living sacrifice, the the battle to constantly obey God's command, the battle to constantly love God and to love the brothers, to love the neighbors, is raging on. To live and act godly in this present crooked world. Remember this one thing. You have an advocate with Jesus Christ. Remember you have the comforter who abides in you. You have full access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. God has given you his word that has every single thing for life and godliness. He has given you the church family, the brothers and sisters in Christ. He has given you leaders in the church. He has given you dear loved ones in Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Why am I saying this? Believer, you are not alone in the struggle. We have the triune God fighting for us, fighting in us. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ to draw on and draw from their their examples and their experiences. We can and we are victors in Christ. Practically, we have to daily present our bodies. Daily. Jason will... Get there soon in Romans 12, 1 to 2. But that's a constant thing. Every single day, every single moment of the day, we're constantly presenting our bodies, living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. And in so doing, we will not be conformed to the world and the system of the world, but we will constantly be transforming, renewing our minds. Because our minds can be a cesspool and it needs renewal, constant renewal. Our hearts can be a cesspool and it needs constant renewal. That is the practice of our victory. Finally, the power of our victory. Verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We are victorious only through the person and the work work of Christ. We are positioned in Jesus Christ through the new birth. And we live out through love and obedience. Our love for the Father, our love for the brothers. And the power of our victory, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, is our faith. Those who are continually, those who are born of God, sorry, are continually victorious over the world. The same world that John speaks of in 1 John 2, 16, that we, he says we shouldn't love, and the things that are in that world system. The world that is characterized by pride and lust, envy and greed, godlessness to the core. The world system that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air, who is at work in the children of disobedience. World that John says 
The one that is in us is greater than that world. Through our faith in Christ Jesus, from, and that's from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace we are saved through faith. The power of this world, the power of sin, folks, the power of the desires of sin, the powers of the desire to lust, the aspiration that are counter-God, that are anti-God, Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have victory over them all and more. Through faith in Christ. What am I saying here? I'm saying this ungodly world system is no longer your passion, Westmount. This ungodly world, when you look at the world, it's everywhere. But that ungodly world system that we are constantly bombarded with on a daily basis, no matter how hard we try not to see it and not to look at it, that's not your passion anymore, Westmount. It's not my passion anymore. Jesus Christ is. Christ is. That's what I'm saying. God's word is your passion. Becoming more and more like Jesus Christ is your passion. Sinful desires are no longer attractive to you. God is. Jesus Christ is. Becoming more like Christ is. The word of God and immersing yourself in God's word is your passion and your desire. Like David and so many others in God's word. You are no longer believer. You are no longer consumed by what you don't have. So you're not lusting. But not only that, you're not consumed by what you do have. So you don't brag, you don't boast. Because look at what I have accomplished in life. Look at all the things that I have gathered to myself. Like that foolish rich man that wanted to build a bar and to store up his treasures. No, no, your brag, believer, your boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says, God forbid, Jason has been taking you through that word so many times through Roman, that I should boast except what? In the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul took all his accolade, his position as a Jew, everything that he had accomplished from a humanistic standpoint, as in all of that I see as rubbish, dung heap, because of who I am in Jesus Christ. This world is not your passion anymore, folks. It's not your passion. Jesus Christ And the faith that he has graciously bestowed on you has set you free. Jesus Christ is now the apple of your eye. Christ and his work on the cross is your only bragging right. Only possible because of Christ. The new life that you and I have in him are through faith in him. Adrian Rogers, famous preacher in the States says says this, having faith in faith, that's positive thinking. 
but faith in Jesus Christ. That is salvation. So if you have faith in faith, Adrian Rogers says, that's positive thinking. But faith in Christ, that's salvation. John ends this section by circling right back, and you may guess it, right back to Jesus Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God? Those who believe He is the Son of God give evidence that they know how to have victory over this world. Through Christ, Christ alone, the object of our faith, a faith that like our love for God and love for the brothers is not circumstantial. It's not occasional faith. It's not situational faith either. We believe, John says, and we will continue to believe regardless of what the world is saying, regardless of what the Gnostic is saying, regardless of what the government is saying, regardless of what ungodly people are saying, we will continue to believe Jesus to be God's only son, period. And he is the source of our victory, the source of our faith. This faith is a lifetime belief. It is a personal belief, folks. I cannot believe we, wouldn't we love if we could believe on behalf of our unsaved relatives and friends? You know what? I'm going to believe on your behalf, so you're good. No, it's a personal faith. It's a personal faith. Your parents cannot believe for you if you're here and you're not saved. Your spouse cannot believe for you. Christ, you have to believe for yourself in Christ. John Piper says, faith is, sees Christ. Faith sees that Jesus Christ is better. That is why faith conquers the world. The world held us in bondage by the power of its desires. But now our eyes have been opened by the new birth to see the superior desirability of Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than the desires of the flesh. Far better, I would add. And better than the desires of the eyes. Far better, than I'd add. Better than the riches and the struggles and that strangles us with greed and pride. What have you overcome, Westmount? As we look at the power of our faith, the power behind our, our victory, rather. John says this is the one who overcomes, the one who is born of God, the one who is born of God overcomes the world. Not will overcome the world, if you notice, he didn't say will overcome, has overcome the world. In John sixteen thirty three. We overcome tribulations. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Take heart. Why? I have Jesus Christ, referring to himself, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. 
We have victory over death, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll see that when we get to partake of the Lord's table. Victory over the evil one. Ephesians 6.16 In all things, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which is your, which, with which rather you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. John says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. We have victory over evil desires. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, 21. So let me ask you as we, we close, are you an overcomer? And don't give me the spirit, the Christian. You don't have to, obviously I'm not asking you to verbally answer, but in, within yourself, don't give yourself the, the Christian answer. Of course I am. No. Self, are you an overcomer? And of course this has to be based on the word of God. Do you consider yourself an overcomer? Have you considered yourself an overcomer or a victor in the past? Or are you just simply holding on until Jesus gets here? Are you like that lady who says, I can overcome anything except temptation? Many of us think and feel this way at some point in our lives. We feel like sore losers sometimes. If we're honest, spiritually, we feel like sore losers and then there are those that believe their walk in Christ is nothing but constant failure. I want to encourage you, John wants to encourage you, that those who are born of God are indeed overcomers. And through your faith in Christ, our faith in Christ, given to us through Christ, we are indeed overcomers. Our victory is not won or even fought by us. That's where we get it wrong. It is won through Christ. It was fought by Him. Through Him conquering in us. Again, I implore you, I encourage you, and I plead to you if you're here, you're not, you have not been born of God. You have not believed in the Son of God then believe it or not, you're not an overcomer. You are not an overcomer. If we take the word of God at face value, the prince of this world and this world system will sift you like wheat, to use a phrase from Christ himself. But before you get discouraged, if this is you and you're here, take heart. There's still hope. Jesus Christ is still the Son of God. Jesus Christ still saves. And He can and will save you today if you surrender your lives to Him. If you want to take another shot at taking on this world and the evils that are in this world, that is up to you, my friend. But know that failure is an inevitability. 
defeat is an inevitability because victory only comes through Christ. And John makes this abundantly clear. Only those, only those who are born of God overcomes this world. Believer, if you at some point in your time, and I know you may have, I, I was there, I've been there, and I'm sure I will get there at some point in time again. If this describes you as one who thinks, man, this is a constant struggle, this is a constant losing battle that I'm fighting, take heart. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ is in you. He won the victory. Draw on your power source. Him, his spirit within you, his word that he has given you. Draw on that power source to live those daily victorious lives that he has called you to live in obedience to him.